Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. I want to begin with kind of a goofy illustration, but I just want you to kind of pretend with me or just kind of play along with me for a moment, and it's going to make sense in about five minutes, okay? (laughs) Imagine you're a digger, and you were created to dig. In fact, every human being on the planet was created to dig. And play, you know, pretend with me that God, he gives us a Bible and it reveals himself as the digger God, the God who digs. And we had verse after verse after verse about digging and yet humanity failed to dig. And so he has to send his son to pay for the lack of digging in our lives, okay? And and so we have this created purpose to dig We have the God who first dug. We have a failure to dig in our lives. We have a whole Bible with verses all about it. And let's just say, I could preach a message to you about the digger God and show you digging verses. And you'd be so convicted. I mean, just convicted. You'd be so convinced that you went, you're like, I'm going to go dig a hole right now. Now, have you ever tried digging with your bare hands before, right? Kids in the back are like, oh yeah, I did that like last week, right? You know, so it's, maybe it's been a while for some of you adults to try to dig a hole with your bare hands, but it's not fun, okay? You don't get very far. It doesn't go very fast. You get like the dirt under your fingernails, right? And like the pain that like of of that, and then you start hitting rocks and roots and things. And it's just like, it's terrible, right? So if you were so convinced, I mean convicted, that God created you to dig, and you thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go dig a hole. And you did it with your bare hands. You'd probably get so frustrated. I think we all would. We'd get so frustrated. We're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not, not going to dig a hole. Right? I, I give up. Now, we... Uh, We've been given a beautiful thing called a shovel, right? The digger, right? So God gives us the wisdom to make these things called tools. Tools that help us do stuff that we do, like shovels or pickaxes or, uh, you know, the gardening hoe or even the auger. If you've seen the auger, the auger's cool. It's got a motor, right? That's super cool. Or the tractor. That's even better. We just sit on it, right? And it digs for us. So we've come up with tools. Today, I want to present to you a tool. It's called the gospel tool. You know, we, we've started this year talking about the three purposes that God's given us. And it's not to dig holes, okay? Some of you might dig a hole, but that's not your created purpose. You were created to walk with God, to grow in community, and to live on mission. That's what God made you to do, OK? 
okay? If you were to read the scripture and, and just kind of take a, a, a survey of the whole thing, you would find, okay, it looks like, according to this, that I am made to walk with him, to grow with his people, and to live on mission. That's what God created you to do. And God gives us the wisdom to create things that help us do that. And so to, today, I, I want to show you this tool that I'm calling the gospel tool. Now, it's, it's not a magical thing, just like a shovel is not magical, right? <laughs> There's nothing magical about a shovel, but it's super useful when you're supposed to dig a hole. I've chosen the word gospel for an important reason. You see, the gospel is that, that life-changing message that whether you thought you were good or you knew you were bad, the reality was that you and I were both completely separated from a God who is holy and righteous and loving and good. And it's, it's our sins that have separated us from him. But the good news the gospel is that when you couldn't do anything about it, God did something about it on your behalf. Sending Jesus, you know the story, dying on the cross, raising three days later all of your sins on him, right? Paying for that so he could put his righteousness on you. And the beauty of the gospel is this, you did nothing to earn it and there's nothing you can do to lose it. Do you hear that? You did nothing to earn this. So there's nothing that you can do to lose it. The good news is that God puts a new heart in you. That's what the new covenant is. I will put a new heart, a heart of flesh, a new spirit in them. Now, that's what happens when you, when you are born again by faith in Jesus. You get a new heart and a new spirit. And so that's the gospel. Now, the tool that I want to show you is a summation of the activities that God shows us to live out of the new heart. Does that make sense? So it's not a checklist. It's not like, man, if I don't do this, I may not even be saved, you know? It's not a, a to-do list. It's not a laundry list. This is a tool, like a shovel, that I think it's going to help you live out your created purpose. Let me tell you what gospel stands for. The G stands for grow in the truth. The O stands for obey what you learn. The S stands for serve others. The P stands for pray about everything. The E stands for evangelize the lost. And the L stands for love one another. Very simple. These are the basic activities that the Bible calls us to pursue. And so this tool, I, I want to spend the next six weeks, and I'm going to walk us through this. And I have uh, some printed copies of this that we're going to have for you guys in the back. They're not here this week, but they hopefully will be here next week. Something that you can take and maybe throw in your Bible and just to remind yourself about this tool. But today, I want to start with the G, grow in the truth, grow in the truth. If you have a copy of scriptures, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to his protege, Timothy. Timothy was one that he called a true son in the faith. 
you need to know that this was the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He is sitting in a Roman jail right now as he's writing this, and he is going to lose his life under Nero's persecution of Christians. This is going to be the last words that we have from Paul, and Paul knows that his time is short, and so he's writing the last words to his young protege, the young leader that he sent to Ephesus to care for the church. So it's a very, very important letter. There's some weightiness to the last words of Paul. I'm going to start in verse 10 of chapter 3. He's talking to Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. I like that. My aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Now he's saying, look, you've seen my example, Timothy. You've seen my life. And I love his perspective as he's chained to a guard in a Roman jail. He's like, the Lord's delivered me from them all. Beautiful perspective. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed or is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul is writing this to Timothy and I'm guessing... If I'm putting myself in Paul's shoes and he's thinking about all the false teaching that's coming into the church, that's what the first part of the, the, the book talks about. There's this false teaching coming in and he's thinking, when I'm gone, where will Timothy turn to to sort this out? When the persecutions do come for him, where's he going to turn? When things get hard, where will he go? I won't be here to look in on him. I'm not going to be able to write these letters. I won't be able to check in on him or to see his face and to have a conversation. So where is he going to turn? And where Paul points him is the word of God. You saw that, right? The sacred writings. The scriptures. That's where Paul wants Timothy to turn. It's the anchor that Paul drops in the water for Timothy in whatever he's about to face as a church leader, a disciple maker in Ephesus. So I want to talk a little bit about these words that Paul uses to describe the scripture. In, in verses 14 through 17, we see him talking about how Timothy 
had kind of grown up in the scriptures. Verse 15, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness. Now, there's a phrase that Paul uses that some scholars believe he just kind of coins. He makes up a phrase. If you've ever been, you know, if, if the, a preacher is really stirred and he's like trying to come up with the word and it's like magnificentation, you know, it's like he makes up something that we're like, ah, I don't think that's a real word. And that's kind of what happens here. Paul makes this new compound word. It's theo. Neustos. I'm, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But Theo, God, Neustos, breath. God, breath. All scripture is God breathed or God breath. Now, when I was a child, next to my home, there was a drainage ditch area and they decided to run all the power lines kind of along the, the drainage ditch area. So we had a big telephone pole next to our yard over there. And one day, uh, you know, we're playing chase out in the front yard. I can't remember why, but we were just out there. And that pole had those big stabilizing wires that come down, right? Have y'all seen those before? You know, big heavy duty metal steel, you know, cables that come down. And I'm so focused on whoever's chasing me that I'm in like full sprint. I'm running. I'm looking behind me like this, like they're not going to catch me. I'm so fast. And I turn my head like this just in time to see that steel wire coming right at my throat. And I mean, I hit that thing full blast and I knocks me like clotheslines me. I land flat on my back and I can't breathe. And I'm like, this thing just hit my throat. Now I can't breathe. Well, you know what really happened, right? What, what happened? It knocked the breath or the wind out of me, right? It knocked the breath out of me, right? I'm going so fast. I hit my back. It knocks the breath out of me. And it scares me because I'm like, something just hit my throat and I'm probably dead, <laughs> right? And I was thinking, I'm just going to make a guess, some of you are walking through some really, really hard stuff in life right now. Like incredibly difficult stuff. Ben talked about the effect of this season on human beings. That many of us just feel like either lonely or extra anxious or extra worried or, or just things are just kind of magnified for us right now. And there are times when it feels like life just kind of knocks the breath out of us. Like we just kind of hit the ground and we're like, like we're just gasping. And in a, in a moment like that, where I feel like a lot of us are at right now, I want you to know there's breath in here. There's breath in here. Paul says, the written, sacred writings, the written word is God breath. I want to talk about what that word God breathed means, that, that God breathed word, it means that these scriptures are authoritative. They, they have authority to them. 
right? These are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve them or to disobey them is to disbelieve and disobey God himself. Does that make sense? Like these are his words. And if it, you know, says, you know, do not commit adultery, then I'm going to receive that as though God is saying, do not commit adultery. And if I disbelieve or disobey that word, I am disbelieving and disobeying God because it's his authoritative word. Okay? Scriptures are authoritative. The second thing it means is that the scriptures are without error. They're without error. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, wait, wait. Weren't human beings involved in the writing of the Bible? Right? And if they're anything like us, you know, we've said some things, we've written some things, and they are much less than inspired, right? So how in the world could this be without error if human beings are involved? That's a good question. These words are not just any old words written by just any old person out there. These are words that were written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says that uh, the, the prophet's will is not determining what the prophet says, but he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's 66 books, 40 authors, written over 1,500 years in three different languages, and it tells one complete connected story. Do you know of any other book like that? 66 books, 40 different authors, three different languages, 1,500 years, one complete story? It's phenomenal. It's miraculous. It's without error. It's god The third thing about God breath is that the scriptures are the truth of God. They're the truth of God. Now, the context that I mentioned is that false teaching is infiltrating this church. These people are coming in and they have these fine sounding arguments and they're referencing some kind of like genealogies and things and they've got these lists. And so the people are like, wow, these it sounds really right. I mean, it sounds good. But they're contradicting what the whole of Scripture says. And Paul is pointing Timothy to the word because he's saying, look, it's the truth. How will he navigate through the strange and false teachings when Paul's gone? It's truth. It's the God-breathed truth. So authoritative, without error. It's the truth of God, but what I want to spend the bulk of our time on, the, the rest of our time, is just talking about the four words that Paul uses to describe the effect of the scripture on our lives. He says this that it is profitable, your translation might say useful, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, I noticed when I read those words, nobody got excited. No one said amen. Nobody uh, put a spirit hand in the air for me. Nobody did a lap around the sanctuary. I mean, you guys did not get excited at all when I said those four words. And I'm just guessing that maybe 
when you heard those words, it was less than inspiring to you. Like when you heard the word um, teaching, boring. Reproof, sounds tedious. Correction, sounds uncomfortable. Training in righteousness, I just wanted a little pick-me-up, not a personal trainer. Amen? Anybody in the room? Okay. And so what I want to do is just talk about what do these words mean? And why should they be exciting to us? Why would we get excited about these four things that honestly we hear them and we're like, uh, not inspiring? Well, let's talk about that. So that first word, teaching. Teaching, that, that word teaching means learning, instruction, or doctrine. And what I want you to understand is that you need the safeguard of sound instruction. You need the safeguard of sound instruction. Ephesians 4, Paul writes that um, God's given some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, some to be teachers, to equip God's people for works of service. He talks about them growing in unity and maturity, to grow to the full measure, the full measure of maturity of manhood in Christ. And he uses this phrase, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of, there's that word, doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul's using a word picture of like a boat that's being tossed by wind and waves and it's just getting, you know, pushed around. And he's saying, no, it's not that someone's going to come push you around. It's like there's ideas and values and philosophies and things that are, being, uh, that are being put on you constantly. It's like the ocean that you live in. And it's going to pull you to and fro unless, unless you can grab hold of sound teaching or doctrine or learning. It's a safeguard to you. This week, I saw a young lady, wonderful young lady that was a part of our, our, our house church that became three house churches that became this church. She was with us way back in the beginning. And I knew that she had had this vibrant faith. I mean, I remember her countenance, the brightness of her face. And she talked about her walk with God and how she's learning and she's reading the Bible. And she just had that bubbly kind of like, you know, joyful thing, right? And I was like, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Well, I saw her this week and that brightness had, had kind of turned down, right? Dim, dimmer. And I asked her, are you still active in, in your church? Because she was from a Catholic background and she ultimately decided, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to go to the Catholic church. Fine. She said, no. I said, well, why not? And she said, well, I've, I've changed my mind on some things. I said, about church or about God? She said, Both. And then she said, based, 
on the information that I now have. Based on the information that I now have, I've changed my mind about God and about church. I don't know if I'll always feel this way, but this is just what I believe now. That phrase, based on the information that I now have. I just want to take that phrase and just filter it through what we just read in Scripture. Human crafting, cunning, deceitful schemes, tossed to and fro, here today, there tomorrow. What happened to this young girl? Could it be, could it be that someone exerted an influence on her and said, what you believe is, it makes no sense. What you should believe is da, 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 da. Could it be? I'm just going to guess. And at some point, the bubbly faith that was enjoying this said, ah, okay, let's talk about that more. Muting sound instruction and looking to the other voices and the light grows dim. Now, my hope for her is that he who began a good work in her will carry it on to completion, even into the day of Christ Jesus, that God's not done with her yet. So I'm not saying a, a, a word of judgment or anything like that. I'm just saying this is real. This is happening to the people that we love. That there is doctrine and teaching that's coming at us all the time. And we need sound teaching, sound instruction. We need a source that's without error, something that's authoritative, something that's true. And we have it in the word of God. You need the safeguard of sound instruction. The second thing, the word reproof. Now, I know you got excited about the word reproof, right? You're like, please. I woke up this morning and thought, rebuke me today, Lord. Like, I'm just, I want that. No, you probably didn't wake up thinking that, okay? So let's talk about what does the word reproof mean? So I, I, I have a tool that I use. It's called blueletterbible.org. You can go on there. You can find any word in scripture that you just want to know more about, and you click on it, and it shows you the Greek roots, and you can see how that used all the verses. It's an amazing tool. And so that's what I did. I was like, reproof. Let's spend some time on that. And here's the point that I want you to understand. You need clarity when your thinking gets cloudy. Ever had a cloudy mind before? Cloudy thinking? I'm not talking about the case of the Mondays, right? How we're all going to feel tomorrow. I'm talking about when the, the, the things around us make our minds get kind of turned around and confused. That word reproof literally means proving, to prove something, to test something, to, uh, to have a conviction. Like there's an evidence about something that is convincing to you and you're convicted about it. That's what the word reproof means. And it has to do with when our minds get cloudy. I was thinking of Paul's words in Romans 12, and he says to them, do not be conformed to the pattern of this age or this world, but what he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
right? In, again, it's a word picture of a pattern. Now, did y'all have a bunt cake mold in your house growing up? Did y'all, did y'all have that, a bunt cake mold? Yeah, you have one? Yeah, way to go, man. He's a bachelor. Do you have one in your house right now? Not right now? Okay, I was like, bro, if, if a bachelor has a bunt cake mold, wow, like, praise the Lord. That's pretty amazing. So we had like, we had a cheesecake mold, we had a bun cake mold, we had, a, we might even had a fruitcake mold, okay, the one with all the little like cool like decorations in it. And the thing about a mold is you pour a soft material into it like dough or batter, right? And you heat it and you bake it and whatever's in there takes on the shape of the mold. And that's the picture that Paul's using. There's a pattern, there's a mold of the age and it's, it's a mold that's made out of ideas and philosophies and, and uh, things that are celebrated and things that are rewarded and things that are frowned upon and things that are mocked. It's, it's a, a value system that's kind of being stamped on you. And you and I are soft beings. We're, we're impressionable beings, We're not impervious to the mold. And so he's saying, look, do not be conformed to the mold, the mold that's pressing on you. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thoughts. We are like those soft materials. We watch a movie, we read a book, we you know, watch a show, we read something online, we view a presentation or a TED Talk, and we're soft beings. And so we kind of get a little bit of a mold pressed on us in those moments, sometimes without even realizing what's happening. And before we know it, we start to get a little bit cloudy. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where you're like, God, are you, are you really good? I mean, I know... The Bible says you're good. I, I've heard people say you're good, but like, I don't feel like that's true. I'm just, I'm cloudy. Are you really good? God, are your ways really good? Because when I go on social media and I know these friends of mine that they don't really care about you or your ways and I look at their lives and I look at my life and I'm like, man, their life looks really good. Like, it looks like really fun and look at all the cool stuff they're doing and they seem so happy and And I'm looking at my life and I'm like, are your ways really good? I'm getting a little cloudy right now. Now, you know, the grass is always greener with an Instagram filter on it, right? Y'all know that, right? (laughs) It's so true. The people that you look at online, they're not happy. They're miserable. Their kids were fighting when they took that picture, but they just got them to smile long enough to go, right? And you're like, man, their life's perfect. No, it's not perfect. But it looks perfect from afar, and it clouds our minds. Paul says, be careful about the mold. It's pressing on you. It's gonna cloud your thinking but you have a place where you can go to cut through the cloudiness. It's the clarity of the word of God. Words that are God breath, that cut through the cloudiness of our lives, of the things that we're being impressed by. So 
You need the truth in your brain. Third word, correction. Oh, man. I know you got excited about the word correction, right? Here's my point. You need to find level in a shifty world. A few years ago, I found this thing called a chiropractor. It was an amazing thing. I started to have back pain, and I went on like my uh, insurance page and found one that was local, and they, it was a $35 copay, and I'm preparing myself for like a big sweaty man to come like, you know, hug me and you know, pull my back up, and like that's what I'm preparing for, and I walk into like the most incredible oasis I've ever been to. Okay, like Enya's playing on the speakers and like they offer me like cucumber melon infused water. And like, would you care to change into a robe? And I'm like, yes, I would care to change into a robe. And I'm just like, this is the most amazing thing, right? They give me a massage. It's the best $35 I've ever spent in my life, okay? Amazing. And at the end, they're like, you need to come see us every week. And I'm like, yes, I do. I need to come see you every single week, right? I get home, my wife's like, you're not going there every week. I'm like, yes, ma'am, right? (laughs) The point is this. They were correcting my spine. I had pain, and they were going to correct something about my posture. That word correction is to return to a right state, to return to an upright state. And that's what the Bible does. He's saying, look, you have pains in your life. We all do. We have pressure points. We have things that are uncomfortable and you need somewhere to go that's going to help correct you so that you can live without that pain. Sometimes they give you exercises. Sometimes they, they give you stretches. Sometimes it's, it's a massage and you're like, thank the Lord for that one, right? But they're correcting you. The word correction, we always think of someone yelling in your face. That's not the picture that we have in the creek to be corrected. I was also thinking of uh, uh, here in Houston, if you have lived here for very long, you're probably, maybe when you're house hunting, you saw a lot of cracked walls, bricks that were separating outside. You, you would, you know, feel the slope in the room as you went into one room. You're like, man, I think this foundation's a little off, right? And, and you, you see the cracks in the sheetrock. Well, that's because in Houston, there's no rock under the soil. I, I grew up in Austin, and I lived in the hill country before that. And let me tell you, there was rock everywhere. And it's awesome when you're building a house, and it's terrible when you're putting a fence in, okay? So here in Houston, no rock. And so what happens is, everything settles, right? That clay soil, it expands and contracts and the moisture level, you know, controls all that stuff and your house will eventually settle and it's frustrating and it's expensive to fix. But there's a company that you can call, a foundation repair company. And what they will do is they will come dig out underneath that house and they will put those piers in there. They will jack up your house and return it to level, right? You're... You need to find level in a shifty world. It's the world we live in. It's shifty. There's our own selves are shifty. Our backs get bent out of shape. We need the correction of God's word to return us to uprightness, right? The last word, training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. And the point is this. You need wisdom to rescue you 
from wackiness. That's what the Bible says. The Bible actually uses the word wack. No, I'm just kidding. The Bible uses the word, a word called folly or foolishness. And when I looked up a synonym for the word folly, it said wackiness. And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to say. Wisdom to rescue us from wackiness. Training means to raise a child. When you look at the Greek word, it's talking about raising a child. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they, were, when they are old, they will not depart from it. To be trained is to be raised. It's, it's to have a, a wise and loving parent, guardian, caretaker who trains you up. Paul says to Timothy that he's known the scriptures, the sacred writings from childhood, meaning, Timothy, your your mom, your grandma, they were teaching you these things as a child. By the way, parents, did you hear that verse? Able to make you wise for salvation. Why do we do kids' ministry here? Because exposing our kids to the scriptures makes them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. And I, I, there's a whole other sermon here that I'm not going to preach, but I just want to say this. I know you're busy. I'm busy too. I know you have sports on the weekend. I have sports on the weekend. Right? I, I know you work hard all week long. I work hard all week long. But there's something powerful about really being a part of a church body where you're exposing your kids to scripture into living examples of people. I just want to encourage you to really tune into what he says about being raised from childhood. But this Bible, this God breath is profitable, profitable for being trained up. And, and if I was still acting like a three-year-old or a four-year-old or even an 18-year-old, you would be like, Ah, Chris is wacky, right? I mean, that's basically what we would say. Man, that's really wacky. He's acting like a child. What Paul's saying is you have something, you have God breath that's going to rescue you from the wackiness of immaturity. It's going to just, it's going to raise you. It's going to raise you just moment by moment, day by day, just exposing your mind and your heart to this. It's going to raise you up and it's going to rescue you from wackiness of immaturity. That word righteousness literally means things as they ought to be, right? When something's unrighteous, it's not as it should be. And when things are righteous, they are as they should be. And so to be trained in righteousness, to be trained in such a way that we ought to be, to be growing, growing in the truth, growing in maturity. So this God-breathed word is profitable for teaching, right? The safeguard of sound instruction. It's useful for reproof, the, the, the uh, clarity when your thinking gets cloudy. It brings correction, repairing our foundation in a shifty world. And it trains us in righteousness, rescuing us from the wackiness of immaturity. And I just want to close with just a, a very practical application. I just want to talk about how do we do this? You see, just like the shovel that is completely useless until I take it out of the shed and use it, 
This tool right here, this is God breath. This is God breath that may possibly never ever get into your soul unless you will read it. Very simply, to grow in the truth, we must read the scripture. You must read the Bible, it's so simple. And as you read it, you just have to seek to understand it. What does this mean? This, this thing I just read, what does it mean? We must read the scriptures. There's two resources I want to point you to. The first resource is the ESV study Bible. It's that black, white, red thing over there. That, that study Bible, okay, it's $35 online, and it is amazing. It's, it's got the best notes that I've ever found in a study Bible, okay? It's what I turn to every week. You'll find me in that book. And when I, when I, there's a passage, I'm like, man, I don't know if I fully understand what that means. There's a note down below in the note section for that passage. It will help you understand what you're reading. It's an amazing resource. I love it. I highly encourage you to check out this ESV study Bible. The second thing is the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. You can get it on your phone. It has multiple translations of the Bible. And what's so great about it is it has a verse of the day feature. And if you're ever like stuck, like, I don't know what to read today. And you know, you just go on that app. It has a verse of the day and you can use that as a springboard to find a spot to start reading, just to start reading. Okay. So the study Bible and the U version Bible app, if you're new to the Bible, I'm so glad that you are here and that you're interested in this stuff. And I want you to know that there's two major parts of this book. You'll, you'll find the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, that word testament literally means covenant. It's from the Latin word for covenant. And in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, people primarily related to God through a sacrificial system, temples and lambs and all that kind of stuff. The New Testament, the new covenant that we're in now is where we, we relate to God through Jesus. I want to encourage you, don't start with Leviticus, don't start with numbers, right? You know, many committed, wonderful Christians have, have lost their way in the deserts of Leviticus before, okay? Even pastors sometimes lose their way in the genealogies of numbers, okay? Don't start there, all right? Go to a book like John, the gospel about Jesus. Start there. And, you know, after you read a gospel, maybe move to like Ephesians, where Paul's going to take the teachings of Jesus and apply it to the believers. And, and then from there, we can start branching out into the Old Testament and other places. I want to encourage you to start in the New Testament, because now we understand the Old Testament through the New Testament. Does that make sense? Jesus fulfills the Old Covenant, so we start with him, and then we kind of work our way backwards. Um. Lastly, I, I made a meme for you guys that I thought described the daily habit of Bible reading. I, I don't know if you, if you guys can put that up for us, that meme. Yeah, yeah, okay. What you wish it was like, and you see the stick of dynamite, right? That's what we're all thinking, like, Lord, today's the day. I'm going to open this Bible. And you open it, and you're like, oh, hmm. I don't even know what that means, right? That, I was... I was hoping for a stick of dynamite. I was waiting for something like massive to break open in my life and it was gonna be awesome, right? And, and what it's actually like is that river stone. 
every now and then for a stone in the river, there's, there's a big current and it rolls that rock and it breaks off some rough edges. But most every single day, it's just sitting in the current. And slowly, over the years, all the rough edges are, are smoothed out by the current of the water. See, when it comes to, to growing in the truth, to reading scripture, I want you to think long-term. Think long-term. Think about a daily habit. That's what I want to challenge you to do, just to have a daily habit. If you're like, man, I've got little kids and my life's crazy, and so, but you know, if you can find 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, and that's like a daily thing for you, I would say start with 15 minutes. Don't try to be, you know, Mother Teresa and go spend two hours of prayer. Like, your children are going to revolt and burn your house down while you're praying, okay? You'll get there eventually, okay? But start with 15. In life, seasons change. There's, there's times where you just have, you have more room. You have more space. And you're like, you know what? I've got 30 minutes. I've got an hour this morning. And I'm going to do it every morning. And I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to step into the river. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you into a river. To God breath. That the Lord might breathe into you daily as you grow in his truth. You were made to dig to dig in the pages, the words, the truths of God's inspired word. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.